Hello, and welcome to this bonus episode of the Unauthorized Critic Circle. Here on the podcast, we like to talk about video recordings of theatrical productions, usually of slightly illicit nature. And so, for this bonus episode, we're going to be reviewing a show that you can purchase tickets to from the comfort of your own home. And this week, that show is Netflix's brand new professional recording of Diana the Musical. Uh, it has just recently released on Netflix and is available to anybody with a subscription, believably until the end of time. So, you know, you've got some time to catch up. And if you didn't get a chance to catch the production, that's all right, too. We'll tell you everything you need to know in this episode. Without further ado, please enjoy this bonus episode of the Unauthorized Critic Circle. Hey there, my name is Dan. My name is Joshua, and, and we, we are, are the Unauthorized, unauthorized Critics Critic Circle. Circle. Now, Joshua, tell the listener what we do here at the UCK. With pleasure. Here at the UCC, we review theater... With the normal bitcheries and qualms... By watching the video recordings... From questionable origins... Of various productions. Diana, goddess of the hunt. Diana, goddess of the womb. Electricity in your heart. Um, sorry. That was a cut song from Next to Normal, and it was better oh, than anything okay. that was, was in Diana say, the Musical. I was like, I, I was gonna say I don't I didn't remember most of these songs, but that's how I was like that was probably the best one of the show just then. Electricity in your eyes, oh your eyes. Uh, yeah, cut songs. We should sing more cut songs on this podcast. <laughs> the deep cut shows we pick aren't enough. No, no, the audience wants us to sing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that if there were some kind of chart that showed us which parts of the episode our listeners listen to, I think we'd see an intense drop-off whenever we start an episode singing. How dare you? Hey, we're both guilty of it. We're, we're, we're pretty much evened out, I think. And we got nothing to be guilty of. Our love can climb any mountain eyes can see that we... Got a highway to the sky. You need to start the episode. Don't want to hear you. Because I'm singing <laughs> Hello, Streisand. <everyone>. Goodbye. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome back you. to the Unauthorized Critic Circle. Today, um, I guess we're, oh. I guess we're talking about oh. uh, Diana the Musical. <laughs> Which we just finished minutes We've just ago. Finished, we, yeah, we watched it together. We watched it in sync with this... Uh, Wherever Netflix party thing, which half worked. Dan, please, no, 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 we can't fall down this rabbit hole right now. This is song number there. three. None of them from the show we just watched. I'm going to a better place. <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> um, you know, I'm just gonna start off real quick by saying I know we hyperbolize a lot on this show. I hyperbolized a lot 
about how excited I was to be able to talk about this show, just how much I was relishing the opportunity. I just feel it proper to start off this episode by saying, lower your expectations, because this wasn't as thrilling. We're going to have a lot to talk about. There's a lot that I have to say, and I know there's a lot that you have to say, but this is not going to be a Dance of the Vampire style episode. This is a wake of an episode, I think. I'm depressing our audience. Dan, say something. Why, God, why this show? Wow. Wow, we're stooping to Schoenberg and Bubli. That's that's how bad it gets. Oh, this wanted to stoop to Schoenberg and Bubli, and that's how bad it got. <laughs> we're not going to start this conversation with what did you know about this show going into it? I'm, I feel like this is a better oh, no, 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 way to no, no. set we up should, this conversation. We should, we should, we should. I have a question for you we first that I think I... will better set up the conversation. No, 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 no. What did I know about Diana? Well, um, you know, I remembered seeing her on TV and I loved her You as completely a kid, took what I was I about to was set up this to conversation marry. with. Okay, well, anyway, I loved her and I thought I was going to marry her and I would become the king of England because I had no concept on how royal monarchies worked and who she was in the royal family. And actually, the first distinct memory I have, being quite honest here, the first thing that I, like, definitely remember, like, I can generally remember thinking I was going to marry her, um, but, like, the first, I know where I was, I know how I felt, I understood the information that was coming at me, was finding out that she had died. On TV with everyone else. What did you know about Princess Di? What did you remember of Princess Di? Did you know anything? Yeah, she's been pretty mythologized uh, in the greater, you know, public consciousness. She's seen as this kind of, I guess, royal martyr. You know, her humanitarian efforts, her sort of persona, the fact that she would go out with celebrities and get in costumes and party among the the common folk. And then, of course, the highly publicized death. You know, it's sort of like she's just become this sort of modern myth, this sort of huge presence in history. And so I knew of her as that. Cool. Yeah. So we sat down and we watched Diana... The musical, the pro shot, well, on Netflix, or or else uh, that, or else I spent an hour and fifty minutes staring at a wall. What did you have to say about the show? <laughs> um, like kind of nothing. General thoughts. Like kind of nothing. I kind of just. I'm a little angry at this show, for. Being what I really think is probably the laziest piece of theater I've seen um to the extent where it's not just that you look at it and go oh this seems lazy it's it it feels lazy at its core it's like I, I, I really don't know what to approach seriously critically you know because it's it it feels like the people who worked on this didn't really care uh that's not a that's not a comment for 
the company. I will say that much right out. But the score, the lyrics, the direction, the design, the choreography, it felt like this was everyone's first draft, and they went, all right, let's just put it on. It was really unengaging. It was pretty boring. And it was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, that's just a start. What do you think? About an hour into Act 1, I went over to the stove. Act 1's an hour! And I put... It felt like we were an hour in. <laughs> About 40 minutes into Act 1, I went over to my stove, and I put some water up, and I made some soup. And I added a lot of ground pepper to that soup. And I didn't know if I was going to like the soup. I hadn't had it before. It was one of those Lipton noodles packets. And um, I had never had it before. But I just got a brand new apartment. And I don't really have cooking set up. And I learned how to use the stove. And I added a decent amount of ground pepper. So it kind of had a kick to it. And, and this was, and and this was your thought nice process soup. as you were watching Diana? Uh, well, there was a show happening in the background, but I had a very nice soup. <laughs> oh, golly. Yeah, no, that, that about sums it up. This is slightly, <laughs> I, this is slightly more annoying than background noise. No, it's definitely more annoying than background noise. Um, but let's start with good shows announce themselves. Okay, and what I mean is, you get to company side by side. Uh, right. You have the tap routine. Ba 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 dum ba dum ba ba da ba ba dum ba dum. F ports in a store, comfy and cozy, side by side. Ba ba da ba ba dum ba dum bum. And there's no response for Bobby. And in right. those eight bars of music, you get the entire story. Uh, yeah. In War Paint, you have a couplet: "A man can be an absent parent, stray the way a woman daren't." Good shows announce and distill themselves into a couple of lines. Similarly, flop shows announce themselves, and <laughs> there is one moment where things are so irredeemable that you know you're watching a flop. Um, Diana gets up and she takes a cello and they rip like the top off the cello and it's white and she starts playing it and it's really badly faked mm. cello playing and the music is completely unintelligible and you're looking at this and there's no discernible plot happening and you think I'm at a flop baby yeah yeah it's it's that com it's that moment where I think you really sit up and go, oh, these people don't... It's 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 somewhere between they don't know what story they're telling or they don't care. Right? I don't think it's that they don't care. Um, it takes a lot of effort to write any musical, good or bad. And if you make it to Broadway, I don't think that it's you don't care. I think there are too many yes-men around them. I think the director has shown time and time again he's not the best judge of new material. Uh, and I 
I think no one told them they couldn't. And that's the hmm. issue here. And it's not that you can't make a musical out of Princess Diana's life. Because it's a story that is rife with dramatic possibility and intrapersonal relationships that have a lot of conflicting climactic dramatic moments hmm. to make that a musical though you need interesting music that is constantly churning constantly making you question um what cadences are we using what ground are we on how hmm. is the music coming up how do these characters actually sing and what diana gave us was the most subpar score I've heard in years. I will say that bar none. Uh -huh. It is the most subpar score I've heard in years. It's bland. There is not a single song I will remember. Uh, I, you ask me to sing five bars of that music. I know there was uh, Better Than a Guinness, Better Than a Wank. I know there was a line about <laughs> That's What I Get for Marrying a Scorpio. I can't sing those lines. Was there a line? I, I, did, I missed that line completely. Was there a line about that? That is the one that Twitter is all a blaze about yeah oh. diana sings that's what i get for marrying a so so here's the thing do you remember the line from the show or do you remember the line from twitter i remember it from twitter there you it go did not make an impression in the actual show and interestingly enough i think a lot of people watched it with subtitles and that's why they noticed the lyrics <laughs> um the lyrics read worse than they sound so i guess that's proof that there is something the composer did but the biggest issue I have with Diana is that it's not very good and it doesn't have the courage to actually take an artistic stance and be bad hmm. and that was the exact issue I had with Memphis which is the same writing team the same design it's the same team same director that did Memphis yeah. I yeah I thought Memphis was nothing. It just seemed very formulaic. There wasn't much interesting to listen to storyline you could have seen coming from a mile away. And yeah, it sat there. The problem here is it's diminishing returns. So you're taking the exact kind of nothingness that was in Memphis and the talent pool is starting to dry up right yeah yeah the show um i i've gone in I, you know i've i very briefly mentioned the fact that i it, it feels as though it were slopped together and i i i agree with you fundamentally the in, the construction of a musical is not something you can slap together the there's intricate moments of design here and intricate moments of staging and intricate moments of like you know specific book structuring work and so you can see like you can see the the the, the foundations of it but it's it's the material it's the fact that the material is so sluggish and so slapped together there was the, the the number where Diana and Camilla were fighting. It 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 just completely gave off the vibes of like 
a rap that's thrown together for a kid's movie. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a dog, and I'm here to say I'm going to teach you about math in a major way. Like, that, that was exactly wow. what those lyrics were wow, evoking. that was like some method acting there. <laughs> You've been that dog, have you not? Look, I can tell you have been that dog. Look, I, we don't have to get into it right now. I just, it's still very raw for me, and I don't really know that I'm ready to discuss it. <laughs> I, and you were given I, notes no, about just... your rapping ability and then you never got your <laughs> call back for freestyle love supreme is that really what we're getting at <laughs> it's just it, it, it it's it's so sleazy and it's so unengaging and it's so uninterested in trying to succeed as a musical i feel like it's it's not that it's it's going out there it's like oh we'll just do whatever we do but it's it's sort of just going it might this might be a yes man problem that you were saying like it's just it's just them going oh we're gonna write what we're gonna write and then we'll we'll stage it like a musical you know this was a real quick can we talk about how this was sung through i wasn't expecting that this was about 80 percent song it wasn't sung through, and yet there was awful wretched. Let's get to the score later. Let's keep it general okay. for a second, because that's sure. a specific score thing. Um, well, about the yes-men problem, it feels like they are trying to check off a number of boxes that they believe makes a good musical but they don't understand why the boxes were ever there in the first place. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's, they, they, it's... They're like, oh, I know that a musical has this and a musical has this, but other than that, they don't really know what they're doing. Part of the whole Twitter discourse that we've seen is... I hate musical theater, and this is why. This is what I think musical theater is, and this is why I hate it. And I think we are having that response because the people that wrote the show are also creating their stereotype of what they presume musical theater to be. And they never understood the form to begin with. So you're going off of an assumption and a stereotype. And think about what Michael John Lacusa could have done with the Diana story. Like, not to jump to Michael John Lacusa, but when Hmm. you're talking about characters whose uh, tactics are constantly shifting and rendering that in musical form, that's a composer, I think, that can do that. Um, yeah. That's what a Diana musical needed to be. And instead, we got something that is vaguely Andrew Lloyd Webber-ish. We got something that is vaguely modern in that we all saw that the show was going to end with a self-empowerment ballad that was going to be high-belted. We could sit here and list all of the boxes. They went and check, 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 check. And they didn't earn any of the boxes. 
they checked them off, but it was never earned. Yeah, I get exactly what you mean, actually. It, it, it does feel like it's just playing into, you know, all of the standards, all of the the average stuff, the average outline of, oh, this is what a musical about a powerful person would do, you know? It, it, you, you could almost, you and I experienced this, almost every song came on and we went, oh, that's this song from this show. We kept mentioning Evita. True. And... I don't think we kept mentioning Evita because it's also a woman in politics. I think we kept mentioning Evita because this tried very hard to sound like Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think I think it's probably the 80s-ness of it all. I think that's probably the, the chiefest, biggest thing it tries to do. Which... You know, I could say just alone, oh, okay, this is Jen, just a, an 80s music thing. Sure, Angela Rubber was of the time, but doesn't make it necessarily him. But like you said, with the constant wretched and the way these songs are constructed to revolve around these lyrics gives, you know, nothing short of Andrew Lloyd Webber specifically. But not even good Andrew Lloyd Webber. It, like was going off of a remembrance of his bad work. Like, <laughs> I thought I heard bits of Woman in White in there. Jesus. <laughs> you know. No one's heard heard bits of Woman in White in years. <laughs> it's... When Andrew Lloyd Webber gets too simple, I say that he goes over to his xylophone. It's what it is. <laughs> is the new song in Cats. All that I won. Ted was to be one. Ted. And it's like he's sitting with his xylophone and he has the mallets in the two hands and you can hear him like take the mallet and search for the next note and try and find it. But he's not the most coordinated so he can't even like accurately use the xylophone in real time. And I definitely had some xylophone kid music in Diana, but, like, even worse than Andrew Lloyd Webber's xylophone kid music. There wasn't, I felt like there wasn't a song here that didn't feel like any other song I've ever heard in my life. Not saying that, of course, musicals don't need to reinvent the form, but normally when you're listening to a musical, you want to go, oh, I've never heard this song before. Ideally, that's what you want. The problem, no, 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 because the problem is the subject is someone who came into the royal family, disrupted the royal family, and recreated the entire public perception of who the royals were and where their place in modern society was. If you are not equaling that in musical theater terms, why are you telling the story? So yes, you did need to come in and completely reinvent the form of musical theater. Fair because enough. that is what the subject demands. Sorry, brass tacks. That's what's. No, happening. I get. I get why you. I get why you get that. And instead, it felt like they went for a very material-wise. It felt like they were going very much for like a theme park adaptation of Diana's life, where it was like, oh, let's just make this. Uh, let's make it fun. 
let's make it a fun story rather than actually looking and going, what is the story to tell here? Instead, it's now let's, uh, let's, let's make it uh, digestible, which you don't really need to do with Diana's story. It's like simplifying beyond any measure of what was needed. But even for like how cheap the story is, and even how much it tries to sensationalize the figure, there's stuff they didn't cover. She was a bulimic. I think that was mentioned in one line. <laughs> I mean, seeing how they dealt with all of the other issues in the show, am I thankful they didn't cover bulimia, or am I a little offended that her reaction to her bad marriage was continually a fashion choice? Yeah, it was all just a very... It, it reduces her to just... I'm going to steal the spotlight by being pretty. As if that was anything remotely indicative of her character. Right. The woman walked in fields with active landmines. They mentioned this it in one so, line I mean, at the end of the show. She knew how to use the press. The press was part of her... Um... Not shtick, but she knew how to use them to good advantage. But that doesn't mean that she didn't do wonderful things. And we had, at two different points in the show, the two worst moments of her marriage. What was the response? Well, let's go on putting a feckety feckety feck dress. And let's get rid of the queen's wardrobe and start looking sexy. So... Not only have you reduced Diana to fashion choices, you've taken away her good fashion sense. Because if she didn't have a husband that screwed her over, she wouldn't have had as good a fashion sense, going by the logic of this musical. It's even insulting in the way I... that it just... Yeah. Can't even give her the proper dues of something as banal as her clothing sense. It, it, and it's, again, it's not like, I, I also don't feel like it's an outright, uh, misunderstanding of like, oh, I, 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 I guess she was just some lady or whatever. It's just the way that this material is written and the way that it centers what it centers takes away every single ounce of agency that the real Diana ever had in her life. It takes away a lot of agency for her, but also doesn't let us get to be in the story with her. There is one serious miscalculation that I think is at the heart of what makes this show so boring, and it is that Charles is never in love with her. Charles is yeah. being shown that he has to settle, and we're not taking very much long, just, you have to settle, why don't you marry Diana? And Camilla says, why don't you marry Diana? We never really show the two ever getting along. Um, and we never show the two of them in love. You don't understand why the story's happening. You don't understand why are we here? Why are yeah. they together? Why are they in? What is, what is happening here? What is this for? You never understand. You've never established, you've never established any emotional stakes. For these characters, not really. Yeah. Um, it's a, expecting you to walk in with 
the emotional stakes understood. Yes. That is Which, the... I was... Yes. I guess that's okay. But the issue is then, why am I going to buy into your version of Diana? Why am I going to buy into the characters that you have created on stage? Because you're not accurately representing the actual human being. It's really an ultimate problem of them just assuming you know the story so they'll go hey we all we all have this collective idea right so let's all just uh let's all just have a little bit of fun with it let's let's put some music to it what you had mentioned i I feel comfortable saying you had mentioned there's one line about her virginity why is that line needed and i had I told you, it was a whole thing in the press. Like, she had to be verified by the royal gynecologist that her hymen was intact. And yeah. so it I could just sense that there was a as... lot here that was in, not in jokes, but like references to things that the audience was expected to know. Yeah. Which, fine and if you're doing a documentary, not... but... Well, it's not that those are bad, it's just that they're not deployed correctly. And that one line coming out of nowhere and then never leading to anywhere, if you're not familiar with this story, it just adds a question. Just a, It's a sloppy handling of history, really. That's what it ultimately comes down to for me. It's, it's all sloppy, and it's all unfocused, and it's all, you know, uninterested in trying to establish its own stakes its own raison d'etre mm-hmm. it never establishes its own stakes and so then why should we stay interested because of the idea of a Diana musical that's not enough and well, and I wasn't interested I was interested in my soup and the show was happening <laughs> and the and amount of pepper that you've added the show but well, I did add a lot of... Well, because, you see, the thing is, I didn't... I, I got this apartment, and you don't always understand, oh, you're not going to have anything. So I had to go out, and I got salt and pepper, and I usually use the fresh ground prep pepper. And This is what I Diana does to that. a man. I, I didn't get the fresh ground pepper, but I did get ground pepper, one of those little canister things. I didn't know how much to add and it ended up that I added a lot but it really helped. I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, and you watched a musical uh-huh. too? But it, it was happening and I was I was paying attention. I yeah. want to make that clear. <laughs> I was paying attention. It There's just, a difference between attention I've, and engagement. I have honestly never started eating in the middle of a show for this podcast. Right. Ever. Um... I have a real problem with pieces of media that are based on history that just automatically expect you to have all the stakes established. Of course, if there are national tragedies such as the death of Diana, you're going to go into it with your own prior knowledge and your own prior emotions. I get that. But you can't just go, okay, we all know this story, so we're just going to shoot it on camera. No, you have to establish stakes for your version of whatever historical figure you're presenting. Yes, exactly. Can you imagine? We, we talk about Evita, but just looking at another bio musical 
more uh, look at how Evita establishes its character as someone worth being interested in. You have that entire scene in Hunin where you find yourself interested not in the fact that, oh, wow, it's Ava Duarte as a kid or whatever. You're going, okay, this is a character, this is a woman who's really interested in this objective and look at how determined she is to achieve it for herself. Here, this entire, like, most of Diana is Diana being pushed towards different things. Towards different fashion choices, not even different things. I mean, she has an affair um, that I don't even know how that ends up happening because the storytelling is so unclear. <laughs> Everything just happens. You don't see a lot of causality. It's just kind of this happens and this happens and this happens and Diana sort of just walks through it. You don't get to see her herself. She doesn't give you the opportunity to present herself to the audience. What else do you want to talk about with the material? Let's talk about, like, really briefly, let's just figure out what's up with this score. I'm not going to say what's wrong, what it is, but it is, just, like, what's up with this score? Um, I'll start off first by saying uh, this was, in fact, composed by the same composer as Memphis. Uh, his name is David Bryan. Um... I was informed today that he is the keyboardist uh, for Bon Jovi. And that explained this score for me. It explained the score a lot. No. No, no it didn't. No, honestly, it, it did. Because so much of this score... just I, I made this comment to you. I said, you know, I gotta hand it to the score. They're, they're writing period appropriate. It's all schmaltzy come and go, blink and you'll miss it, one hit wonder, 80s pop. Yep, there were no hits. Right. Even the operative word of one hit wonder is hit. <laughs> Might have only been one, but there was a hit. There are no hits here. I, I'm not going to remember any of these songs. I don't think any of them are... Well, And it's not about... If there's not a tune, you can hum. There's not a tune, you can bum, 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 bidum. Uh... That's not it. It's that the music just happens and it isn't really connected to any character building and most of the characters really sing the same except Judy Kay is given a dog of a number near the end of the show and that sounds different and that just number is inept. sure that that number sounds different than most of the music in the show but and you know Trigger warning, Dan. I'm about to say the name. Talk about a musical you don't like. This is just the grandmother's song in Billy Elliot. That is just exactly one to one what this song is. Yeah, but even the grandmother's song in Billy Elliot was better than that song. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing I with mean, you there. I'm just saying this was a carbon copy. It didn't. It didn't repeat itself so much. This is a show that repeats itself a lot. Uh, there were a couple of moments I messaged you. I was like. Uh, oh, was she? <laughs> was she an admiral's wife, a soldier's wife? What was the other one? I don't... Uh, you were talking about, uh, you married me. That was the line. You married me. Did she marry him? <laughs> God, it... I also said something terrible. Uh, during the AIDS number, I said, thank God Larry Kramer is dead. This would kill him. Oh, God. <laughs> 
You know what I said during the AIDS number? Will I lose my dignity? Will someone care? Again, every song in this show feels like another song. But it's not even the life support number from Rent. Those people were trying to take action in their lives. They couldn't even get Roger to the life support meeting in Rent. The people in the life support meeting in Rent were actually trying to deal with their illness. And Diana, she just shows up to a hospital, and these kids are, like, scared that their parents are going to find out that they're gay. Honey, you're going to be dead in two months, and they're going to find out anyway. And eventually, over the course of the song, they're like, okay, I guess you can take a picture of me. But it was just such a... I don't know. It's not a pleasing representation of who those AIDS patients were. They didn't seem brave. It seemed like she convinced them that, well, you can use the press to get ahead. And that's not the lesson I want from that scene, or that's not what I want to hear from Diana in that moment. You know? Yeah. I mean, they just seem so pathetic. And there was no... There is usually dignity in death, and knowing that you're going to face death. And there was no dignity being represented in that scene for me. Yeah. Just a calculation at the end that, well, take a picture for me because we can do better for new people, but that should be self-determined for each of the characters. None of the characters really has much self-determination. That's the entire show. No, but going back to the score, it's not even a good vocal showcase for most of these people. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's bland, it's regular, it's very non-melodic non-melodic isn't an issue it's a show that wants to be melodic though and there is the issue it's a show that you can tell desperately wants to be melodic and it just doesn't have melody so then what you're going for is not what you're accomplishing yeah it it, 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 I, I I'm trying so hard to just come up with words to say I just felt nothing about the score I feel no impetus to talk about it it just happened and that makes for boring podcasting but guess what it makes for a fucking more boring musical here's a question they're going back into previews (sighs) let's see how that goes huh Uh, how do you fix if you were to fix how do you fix okay first of all I'll address this this show has not opened yet. This show is still in previews when it opens back up. Theoretically, this show is not frozen. Except it is mm-hmm. because now it's cemented on Netflix. And so what are you possibly going to do with this show now? You've made your bed with this. Uh, we'll talk about the decision to film and why that was made later. Um, Those her- horns I heard. It's a city of strangers. Some come to work, some to play. A city of strangers. Anyway, um, Don't you love it? I... Uh, but that, but 
just aside from that, I, 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 I I'm trying accepting to that they are in previews and they could still make changes. I don't think like, it's likely. Yeah, toss, they have cemented the show. Toss the composer, toss the lyricist. That's what I would well, say yes. in previews. I think that I think that's it's it's unsalvageable from like from those aspects. Uh, is there any way that you could improve it that you would see realistically they would make a change? Like, because my problem because previews are a thing for structure, really, right? It's in making sure your structure is okay, taking out a couple lines that mess up with that structure. They used to be about structure, but nowadays you get locked into these computers moving your sets, and the computers have to be reprogrammed if you do a certain amount of rewriting. So it's preview periods are rarely used as much as they should be anymore, which is a damn shame because musicals are more rewritten than they are written. Um, yeah. I don't think they're going to make any changes. Looking at the show, is there anything... The, the scene where Charles proposes to Diana, you need a love song there that comes off as potentially genuine. And if they could add that, you would buy a lot of goodwill for yourself. Outside of that, yeah, you would have to scrap the entire thing. I think you could save a lot of goodwill adding a song for Charles where he proposes to her, seems genuine, then maybe you reprise it later on and have it be ironic. That's the other thing we should note about the score. There are a lot of reprises here, and... All in the you second pointed act. Out there All were a lot of reprises. Like back to back to back to back to back to back. Which also gives an Andrew Lloyd Webber impression. But you yeah. mentioned there are so many reprises here, and I responded... I honestly haven't known, noticed that they were reprises because the song was so unmemorable in the first place. I, I, I do think ultimately it's an unsalvageable score. I don't think I could look at the score and go, okay, maybe if you tweak that, it'll make the whole thing... Just... No, like, each song is really independently bland. If anything, if I were to say anything, I'd probably suggest that your main point of focus has to be in setting up your story better. If you're going to take this audience through to something, you you at least want to make them not want to give up hope within those first 20-30 minutes. You have to find a better way of drawing your audience in and then maybe, maybe they'll cut you some slack with the rest of the material because they've already had their hopes that's... in from the beginning. They've already made their emotional investment. No, and that's why I said at that love song in where he proposes to her. I think we're trying to get at the same thing there. Um, yeah. Other than that, there are little changes. Judy Kay's song near the end seems like it ends four or five different times. The buttons really could be cleaned up. You really could rework a lot of that choreography. But no, I think it's unsalvageable. Yeah, that's a, that's a loaded question to go what what would you say to fix it's cruel of me to say this but i would sooner say just toss the show i think there's too much to work on here that it either you make a new show or or not you know 
No, it's so gone in concept that there is no fixing, there is no correcting course. Yeah. So I guess as a result, we have Diana. For now and for always. And do you know that you're trying to rip off an Android Weber tagline there? (laughs) (laughs) Was that just subconscious? It was subconscious. I think... (laughs) This show's permeated so much Andrew Lloyd Webber into me, you know? Um, We've gotten a bunch out about the score, but the internet's favorite point of contention so far is the lyrics. Um, You already mentioned Better Than a Guinness. The lyrics are part of the score. The lyrics are part of the score, but we haven't really specifically touched on the lyrics. Yeah, we've talked a lot about the memorability of the music and how it sort of comes and goes. But let's now talk about how these lyrics let the show down. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it's, uh, it's a collaboration between our composer and our book writer. It's Joe DiPietro and uh, David Bryan. The lyrics are just... I don't know. Banal. Yeah. It's looking for what is the easiest rhyme and then figuring out how to make that work. There's no clever wordplay. Uh, there's no trenchant professionalism that's evidenced. Um, they keep talking about how Diana is uneducated, but you never established character voices that are independently different enough. Yes. Yes, it's homogenous. send that message over. Yeah, it's every single one of these characters talks like the other one. So if she is really uneducated... Yeah. How are we expected to believe that? It just sounds like a line. No one here sounds any different than the other. And that comes down to, you know, no one sounding any more intelligent or less intelligent or less or less classy or more classy like you have these uh you have these reporters these trashy people going it's better than again it's better than a wank and yet you still have these classy people at the party going it's a thriller in manila but diana and camilla how how are those independent how are we supposed to know that those are two different groups of people you know who the show does dirty, or does the worst, too? The company? Queen Elizabeth II. Yeah. Because, I mean, you look at the woman, and you listen to her talk, and God love her. I mean, she's really a dear. You listen to the woman talk, and you listen to the vocabulary, and you listen to the tone of voice, that is in no way translated to the score, even... Uh, you cast Judy Kay, who hypothetically yeah. has the right vocal range to affect the kind of speech that you would expect her to sing at, or the range you would expect her to sing at if she sang, um, but they don't really utilize that very much. And then 
you listen to the vocabulary that the woman has and just the way that she speaks and understanding that she came of age in the 1940s and we are all a product of when we were born and she is going to have that sense of vocabulary and that sentence structure nowhere is that evidenced so they've just made they've taken Queen Elizabeth of the longest reigning monarch in the world in history and they've made her no different than one of the tabloid people it's just it's it's insanity it's just insanity but the lyrics no they're nonsensical I think they were expecting more laughs than there actually are and rather than they're performing well on Twitter but it's not people <laughs> laughing with the show it's people laughing at the show yeah none, none of these lyrics are enjoyable you don't listen to no. any of these lyrics and go okay I can see how this is contributing it's at best blunt I go to a musical I something that's important to me I hear some kind of rhyme I didn't expect, or I hear some kind of clever wordplay uh, that I didn't see coming, and it activates a little pleasure center in my brain. Um, there's no way I would go and make soup if that pleasure center had the slightest <laughs> chance of being activated. But no, I mean, there wasn't the slightest chance you get in here and it's just I mean what what even was that first song I don't want to be unforgotten I don't want to be undismissed unsomething what was it mm. what, what was it I'm asking you Sorry, what, 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 like what was it that the show was missing the opening song the opening song oh it was that um uh, it was um underestimated what's the title of the opening song I underestimated Okay, there we go. Uh, thank you. You're very welcome. Uh, <laughs> I do a lot for you. I knew it was on. Uh, <laughs> it's just... You open the show. I don't want to be underestimated. What are we establishing here? I mean, you're supposed to establish character. You're supposed to establish stakes. You're supposed to establish tone in the show. And she's just saying, rather than having any self-determination, she is making, the character of Diana is reacting to an expected reaction that the public is going to have. And that's why the show doesn't work in a nutshell. Because it's nothing about her self-determination. It's about everyone else is underestimating me. And you haven't really established who that other person is. Because it's the very, very opening of the show. Yeah. And I don't want to be underestimated. That's what you're establishing? That's the through line of the show? Even to move that to an I want song, uh, she has to want something that's more within her and doesn't have to do with other people. Even something like Carrie, from Carrie the Musical. You know, it's people calling her out names 
you know, Scary White, Scary White, that's not my name. And it starts reactionary, but you get to a second section of the song, I've made a prince and da-da-da-da-da-da, dance on air. It goes somewhere else. Yeah. And we're able to understand what the character wants. This one, what she wants is a different reaction. Well, that's not... You can't control other people. You know? Yeah. And so then, if the show is about her trying to control other people, that's interesting, but that's not what this show is, and the entire show then needs to be very specifically about that. I, 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 it didn't feel... I, I can't tell what it is this show is trying to go for, other than... No. Diana's no. the subject, and now there's music. What is what is this trying to say about Diana? I honestly couldn't tell you. I don't know. A, that's a damn sad thing to walk out of a musical saying. Well, especially a musical about someone like Diana. Yeah, I was saying this before. We'll, we'll, we'll probably get to it, but there were, like, you know, the conversation of various inaccuracies came up. And my response was, oh, yeah, of course, because if you're going to do a biographical musical, you're definitely going to do it about someone as unscrutinized and someone whose private life was made so unaware as Diana. <laughs> yeah, someone who is a great mystery to us all. A real, a real behind-closed-doors kind of person. We'll never really know what went on in the room. Okay, well, Dan, where would you like to go from here? I guess it's time to move on to the production. So, this production is directed by Christopher Ashley, um, Tony Award winner for Come From Away. Christopher Ashley has directed some terrific Paul Rudnick plays. And he did the Rocky Hara show revival that we watched. Yes. He did Xanadu, which I really loved. Um, it's the city of strangers. Um, he and then he won his Tony for Come From Away. He won his Tony for Come From Away. What you're missing here is All Shook Up, Memphis... Yeah. Leap of Faith oh, boy. and Escape to Margaritaville. <laughs> oh, it's all coming together now, folks. <laughs> he can be a good director. Yeah. I'm not saying he's not talented. I'm saying if you're making a new musical, I do not, based on that resume, think he has the proper taste level that is going to lead you in a correct direction. You go into Diana thinking, okay, we're gonna need someone to help with this material. Not to, like, undertake, you know, some sort of dramaturgical work specifically necessarily, but to go, okay, we need someone who's gonna be able to look at this work and go, okay, here's what we do with it. You know, think of how many pretty bad shows were saved by their production. What do, you, what do you make of Christopher Ashley's direction here, divorcing it from he couldn't have fixed this, I guess? Well, he should have fixed it. Uh, no, honestly, you're the director. 
at some point you have to say this is not cutting it or no i agree with you shepherd the show into the correct direction so the blame is equally on him i i agree Uh, with you there but i'm i i think from like from what you saw what do you have to say it was pretty visually static unit set it's just sort of same thing lights are doing a bunch of the work but also not really doing much work at all the costumes are fine i don't know you put royals on stage and you put diana and there's an expectation of visual splendor there and i'm sorry you kind of have to give that to some extent yeah i didn't think he did it relied as much on these musical theater tropes as this music did how many numbers did we get in this show where everyone was frozen and diana was monologuing about her introspection but it wasn't very introspective introspection (laughs) Well, no, it's like Pasek and Paul. It's that number they wrote for Aladdin kind of introspection, where it's just like, yeah, girl boss. It it was a it it felt like just every old trick of the trade, and you know that there's the whole sequence in that uh, the Bach performance number where you know it's the party, and then all of a sudden, boom, snap, we're back to normal. Whoa, whoa, I can't believe this stage transformed. So oh, it's cool. Seen it before, you know. It's an old. It's becoming an old trick. Diana made me realize that this is becoming an old trick. Well, the other. Well, no, that was. God, we saw that in Lacage. I mean, yeah. yeah. And Lacage was using it because it was trying to be a 1920s musical. It is an old <laughs> trick. That is not a question. <laughs> um. But even something like the dress, which is the other thing that's currently going viral. How did they do the dress? How did they do the dress? They did something very similar in Sunday in the Park with George. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's nothing particularly inventive, which I have to say, I don't think the production necessarily needed to be the most inventive, but present it on the proper scale. And it's not being presented on the proper scale. The choreographer, the choreography, was done by Kelly Devine. Uh, uh, she's been on Rock of Ages, Doctor Zhivago, Escape to Margaritaville, Come from Away, and Rocky. And we're in the 1980s, and we keep hearing, "This is how your people dance. This is how your people dance. This is how your people dance," and. What the 1980s Britons are doing, giving the exact same choreography that we saw in the prom, I don't completely understand. Yeah. I had an issue with the I had a major issue with the choreography in that I've seen it all before. And it's not that she didn't come up with a new vocabulary. She didn't have to come up with a new vocabulary, but it looked really stale. I mean, even the book. They're dancing with the books. Wasn't that a thing in Curious Incident? Wasn't that a thing in the Harry Potter play? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right for both of them. It, the book choreography is so synonymous that straight plays are doing it. And so we're getting it here. I, I'm just... 
visually I'm tired of looking at it. I I am I am ready to move on from this. We've got a we've got a company here, and you know what? Frankly, I'm going to say I've never had such intense whiplash of how good I thought a company sounded and how terrible I thought the company was done by this sound team. Oh, well, that's that's filming notes. We will get into the many filming notes I have. Sure, but I, I will say up front that I do think it's... We usually, you know, I guess save it for the end or whatever, but I, I really liked this ensemble. I thought it was a really well-put-together ensemble for, you know, we're watching a performance that's done, I guess at this point, 15 or 16 months after the last time stepping into performances. And so all of that considered, I really thought this company sounded great and gelled together very well. Do you agree? I thought they were very hardworking. Um, but it just didn't go for much because of the material. I agree with you because of the material. And, like, you know, the material of the show did that, and then as a result, the production went in that way. But... You know, ultimately, I thought that the company, uh, uh, they, they tried very hard, and I thought they succeeded. They were really gifted, and they really presented this material to the extent of their capabilities. And there are more than a couple performances here where I was like, wow, that's a, that's a good performer. They were hardworking, and um, I thought they were fine. That's yeah. as much as I can say about them. Alright. So, I'll walk us through this company, I suppose. So, I guess let's... let's we, we've really got four people to talk about here. Um, yeah. Let's start off with... Uh, it's crazy that we're starting off with Judy K. In a... Two-time Tony winner. Two-time two Tony winner, Judy K. Where... We're starting with her and we're working our way up. That's unusual. She's here playing Queen Elizabeth II and also Barbara Cartland, the English novelist. Um, I very much enjoyed her as Barbara Cartland. Uh, there was a real so did zaniness. I. I thought that I, I would watch that one woman show. There's a real zaniness to Barbara Cartland that I think has always been Judy Kay's stock and trade. Or not stock and trade. It's been Judy Kay's uh, speciality. Mm. And as Queen Elizabeth, she didn't have much to do. Why didn't you give Judy Kay more to do? Yeah, what the hell? Well, not even just two-time Tony winner Judy Kay. It's two-time Tony winner Judy Kay, and it's Queen Elizabeth II. You're saying that the Queen has nothing to do, really, with Diana's life? There were no repercussions from the Queen? She just kind of swooped in and said, you're getting a divorce, and here's how I'll resolve the plot in two lines? It boggles the mind. Um... Judy Kay is fine in this. She's always reliable. She needed more to do. She needed better material. Yeah, absolutely. It's the fact that the Queen was given such uninteresting, unimportant, come-and-go 
material. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a song or it's a lyric or it's the book, but it's really all three. Um, it's just an overall letdown that she is not given something better to do here. Moving on from there, we have Roe Hartramp as Prince Charles. What is that name? Roe Hartramp. You will send this to me in a message of text. Isn't that a fun name? Hartramp. No, no, no. I'll also include the first name. Oh. Roe Hartramp. Ro Hartranf. No, Dan. No, so no, no. We no, do no. have. Yes, we do have Ro Hartranf as. Christ, man. We have Ro Hartranf oh as as Prince Charles, and uh, yeah, he was there. I I thought he sang well. I felt for the guy, actually. If I'm gonna be honest, you felt for Charles. I, damn. I felt for the human being Charles because this story is being retread this callously and this ineptly. <laughs> you can't leave him alone. Like it, it, w when a musical is this incompetent, you couldn't have just le left these poor people alone. I felt for Charles and Camilla. Like, like I don't sympathize for the people. But I sympathize that they have to live in the world where this exists. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that Roe was not a bad performer. I didn't completely care for his voice, but I don't think it's a bad voice. Thought it was a decent I thought he sang well. acting I, performance, I sang all things well. considered. I thought it was a fine voice. I, it's not my cup of tea, but I can acknowledge that I, that he's a good singer. Um, I thought he acted well enough. It's so hard to talk about performances here because you have to take it with a grain of salt that their material is crap. Well, it, the character was a cipher, and that's what he gave. Yeah. I would be I would be interested to see him in a better show than this. I would like to see his mm -hmm. skills transfer to something else and see what I think of him then. Because I don't think... I almost don't think it's fair to judge him as an actor after, off this performance. So, casting directors, row yourself over to Mr. Hatramf. Wow. And wow. see if we can get him into a the better show. on everybody's lips is gonna be Hartramp. Row Hartramp! <laughs> okay. Now we're going to move on to someone who is making unauthorized critic circle history. Uh, we are talking about uh, Camilla Parker Bowles as played by Erin Davey, who is cementing herself on the podcast as the first female performer we're talking about who has appeared on the podcast three times outside of an event series. Aaron Davey is not the first person to achieve three first status. We have covered Beth Level three times. Uh, we covered her in our Gypsy series. We covered her in No No Nanette, and we covered her in The Drowsy Chaperone. Uh, Gypsy, of course, though, was an event series, and we covered just about every person we could get to. Aaron Davey is the first person to achieve that status with 
three separate shows, none of which were included in an event. I think she gave the best performance in the show here in Diana. Yeah, completely. It was incredibly well put together. And it's such a fucking fantastic vocal performance. Like, wow. Like, you give her that boring material and she still sounds as good as she does? That's impressive. Um, she sounds great. Uh, it's funny. We've uh, This being our third time, you know, watching her, we've kind of grown up with Erin Davey. Because we started with her in Grey Gardens and we saw her, like, you know, as a younger performer. And then we moved on and we saw her in a little night music. Uh, and we got to hear how her voice embodied that. And now we're here uh, a decade after night music and her voice has matured incredibly. Mm-hmm. It's no, so it's, full. She, she sounds terrific. Acting-wise, I actually think she had the most to act out of any of the characters. And she acquitted herself uh, very nicely. Just a great performance. And when you're walking out of the Diana musical saying that Camilla Parker Bowles was something, maybe <laughs> something went wrong. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I did enjoy very much her performance. Um, right. And I guess from there, that leaves us with uh, Gianna DeWall as Princess Diana. Um, it's not a small task to embody Princess Diana in any form of media, let alone a, a musical. What do you What do you think of her performance here? She was there. She was fine. And I don't have much to say outside of that. Look, the reason that Diana captivated so many people's hearts, yes, she was ballsy, yes, she was this, yes, she was that, but really, there is a brand of personal magnetism that she had in spades, a brand of it factor that she had in spades. You either got it or you ain't, and it's nothing that Jenna DeWall did wrong, but she ain't got it. Not where it counts in this case. Mm. As far as magnetism goes, and as far as creating a, um, I don't know, you see Diana and she's like sparkling off the screen. It's not the case with Jenna DeWall, and it's not to say that she's deficient as a performer, but when casting the show you needed to find someone with that magnetism she gives a great performance she sings well she acts as well as can be expected with the material it just doesn't have that star magnetism and there's nothing she could have done to get that yeah I I I, I don't know I, I, I felt like this is a legendary figure to embody and to ask someone to just have that in them is an insane ask and one that you should not expect from a performer to just have within them and I don't think this team did the work that she needed to be able to embody this appropriately well they didn't create other things for her to present 
And yeah, so, exactly. yeah, they let her down in that way. Yeah. It, it, it's, I, I'm sure she's a fine performer. I just, in here, didn't get Diana, you know? I didn't get her. Mm-hmm. Well, does that then leave us with talking about the recording itself? Sure. Um... So, as has been mentioned, the show uh, opened before the pandemic. The pandemic happened, and it looked like Broadway was shut down indefinitely. And they moved to record for Netflix. And it's a very odd move. I will tell you why I think it happened. And that is, if you looked at the grosses for the previews of Diana before Mm -hmm. the pandemic not good they were not good they were not making a lot of money and it looked like the show was for all intents and purposes at least in New York dead on arrival so at that point one of the producers was intimately connected with Netflix what Mm. you can do is you you can try and sell the show to Netflix they do have the crown you now have something crown adjacent and you go to them and say this is synergy wise (laughs) good marketing material for you to have and we'll sell it to you for uh, fill in your price and what you can do then with that sale is you haven't lost your entire investment no it's not a lot of money but you didn't lose the entire investment selling it off to cut your losses selling it off to cut your losses and in the event that people happened to love this you could then sell a tour if sure yeah that seemed to present itself and you can get yourself on enough subscription packages Um, They are reopening on Broadway. They did get a Shuttered Venues grant. And what that is, is a lot of shows. um, Just about every show on Broadway. Got about $10 million from the government that doesn't have to be repaid. And the purposes of that money is to go back into rehearsal. And um, every show has to be reteched. It's not a cheap proposition, and yes, it is somewhere in the ballpark of around $10 million to get through the first couple of months of the run, to get through that rehearsal period, through that tech period, and through a couple months of a run on Broadway. It is somewhere in that ballpark. And so you might as well reopen. And the money doesn't really have to be paid back. They do have to use it all up but you don't have to pay it back. So the cast put in their time and energy this much. You might as well give them another couple months of employment. Whether this show is going to be a hit remains to be seen, but based on what we saw on Netflix, I can't see this making a profit. I can't see this being a long run. I imagine they will shutter soon after that $10 million from the government runs out. <sighs> I don't know why you think to record this before it's 
open and then still open the show. You know? Like, I don't, like, the show as it stands now, are you committing yourself? Are you signing this contract? Well, they went out to La Jolla. They had an entire run in La Jolla. And maybe they know something about how willing the authors are to rewrite. I guess. Well, maybe they were happy with the state the show was in. Maybe they were confident about God, what can this you imagine? Was. Uh, no, Stranger I. Stranger things have happened. No, that's absolutely one hundred percent what the thing is. It's just it's now they're going to hear all of these responses from people who are watching this on Netflix, and they're going to be getting these reviews, and they're going to be seeing these comments on Twitter. And they're about to go back into previews. And they're probably going to be well, thinking, not... okay, well then, now that we've heard this, do we fix? Do we change? Do we shift? But what can you do? You've already solidified the show. You've frozen it. You've immortalized it on camera. At the time, it was a very business-savvy move to record the show. Sure. Not very artistically savvy. No. Well, hindsight, of course, is twenty twenty. But you see how you arrive at the decision of we may never reopen and I have a connection at Netflix that can at least get us two million back of our investment. Yes, that I do. Um, I will tell you the issue they have. And I will be honest, you know, I live out in Ohio normally. Um, I don't get a lot of direct mailers from Broadway, although with the reopening I have been getting a lot. Um, I did get a Diana mailer back yeah. in 2020, early 2020 or 2019, and I will say, I didn't expect Diana to be good, but if I happened to be in New York, I would have gone to see it because... I believe, as I told my friends, it's fun flop time. Sure. Um, After seeing this Netflix thing, I'm not... I'm currently in New York. I'm not about to buy a ticket to it. I would be deeply surprised to learn that you would. Like, I was very much a potential ticket buyer, and I'm not going to be buying a ticket after seeing it because... Whatever I was going to get from the show, I already got. Yeah. I think that's... Well, to be fair, that's the fear that people have with pro shots, right? That is the fear that a lot of theater artists have. Pro shots will then result in your show not being sold tickets. And so I guess phrasing it like that to say like, well, I've already got my experience sort of, I think, gives credit to that theory. What do you think about that theory? I really think it matters when you do the pro shot. Something like Hamilton, it hasn't affected the ticket sales. Something like Legally Blonde, they thought they wouldn't have had the tour ticket sales they had unless they did that pro shot. Um, Diana, it's not necessarily the best show, and they did it before they could open and build any kind of buzz. So now that the buzz that you've effectively created is bad. Yeah. I have not seen many people be positive about this show at all. No, neither have I. It's really just like... Feels like an Icarus move, you know? 
Mm-hmm. And ultimately, I, 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 I can give you know, credit to the idea of doing a kind of, like, you know, a rent kind of thing where the show's about to close, so you capture it. Or even if you wanted to pull a Hamilton, you go, okay, we're going to record the original cast. Then when we're not able to sell tickets to this production, then we'll release it, you know? But I think that's the way to move forward. Yeah, I can see that. But in any case, just specifically talking about this recording, I thought it was a, at, at best fine. I thought the recording and actively harmed the show. Yeah. They auto-tuned every last performance. Oh, well, oh, well yeah, 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 yeah. Like talking death. about the... Yeah. I, was, I guess I was thinking more of like, like, like just like looking at it as like, you know, I thought it was fine cinematography. I don't think you did it really anything to heighten Mm-mm. the staging. You just sort of just just recorded it, which is fine. But, God, that sound processing. I thought it was terrible cinematography. Every person looked completely flat. I Did you have that issue? Not directly, but I, see, I, I, get, I can see what you mean. Every person just looked flat. They were not doing anyone any favors with the lighting it looked like they lit it for the theater and then didn't adjust for the camera but you can't do that i mean just you add to the fact that these just look like people that randomly pop up they're two-dimensional they literally look two-dimensional figures floating on a screen and then the sound that you're hearing is completely processed in a studio and is not the sound that they are singing you've taken live theater and you've taken everything live or could even seem live out of it i couldn't stop thinking about the fact that they were playing to a stone cold empty house i don't, i i just i could not stop thinking about that that i didn't mind it's not that i minded it it's just it was always in the back of my mind just this is absolutely empty yeah it's a pretty bad recording um Uh, for a professional recording of a stage show it it sucked you take all of the vocals you process them to death you make everyone look flat you don't use any kind of exciting camera angles or anything of that nature sorry it's just not good enough c minus C minus. Yeah, it's a C minus. And the show yeah. is a D. Honestly. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I also think the show's a D. Like it it hovers above an F. It's it's not an F. It hovers above the F. It's a solid D. It's a shame this wasn't better. You never want a show to be outright bad. I didn't think that You don't wish poor I, I said like I said fun flop time. Uh I never expected Diana to be successful just because of a musical about the subject matter and who was involved. I, I didn't see it being a hit. But I thought it would be fun. It is not. And I thought there might be some good material. I, he, you n- t- never 
really want to go to the theater and have something be just forgettable. And that's what this was. Forgettable. And it's a damn shame. I don't know if I've really said this about a show before, but it is upsetting to say, but I really just did feel like Diana was a waste of time. Which is Uh, upsetting. But I guess they made their bed, they're lying in it, and now we've got Diana. And now you've got our discussion of Diana. That's the end of our discussion. We're done. We're finished with it. Diana is done. And next week, we're talking about a show that is, to some people, forgotten. It was very short-lived, but um, is worthy of revisiting. And that show is Rags. Yes. uh, We are doing the... uh... I would say the original Broadway production of Rags. The Broadway production of Rags. <laughs> yeah, we're doing Rags. It's a show called Rags. I'm excited to know what it's about. I've heard it's, like, tangentially related to Fiddler or something, so... It's a I, spiritual I watched... sequel to Fiddler. Uh, it's starring okay, Teresa good. I watched Stratus. Fiddler to prepare for it. It doesn't have Judy Kay, but it does have Judy Kuhn. Uh, yes, uh-huh. yes. Kuhn uh-huh. was uh-huh. the one. Kuhn uh-huh. was the Phantom one. No. Kuhn was the Sweeney Todd just one. No. Just embarrassing. Damn it. Just embarrassing. I'm just, hold on. I have, here, hold on. Wait, give me a sec, give me a sec. Right, Sound okay. Effects. Sorry, I printed, I printed out a, uh, a diagram. K was in Phantom Kuhn was in Les Mis. There we go. Got it. So we're seeing K this time. We're, we're going into Judy. We saw Judy K today. We're seeing Judy Kuhn next week. So Rags, uh, Larry Kurt, the original Tony from West Side Story, he's going to be in it. It's Terrence Mann. It's oh, good. Judy Kuhn. It's Teresa Stratus. Uh, uh, not giving away all my cards. I think it's really... One hell of a show that's underrated. That is um, underrated. Under um, underutilized, underrated. What was the opening song from Diana? Oh, un- uh, oh, give me a sec, give me a sec. Underestimated. <laughs> a show that is actually underestimated. Next week, Rags. <laughs> See you then, folks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unauthorized Critic Circle. Tune in next week when we talk about Rags, specifically the Broadway production's performance from August 10th, 1986. If you enjoyed the episode, rate us, review us, and subscribe to us on your platform of choice. And if you have any recommendations, questions, or virtual flowers to send our way, email us at unccpodcast at gmail.com. The Unauthorized Critic Circle Podcast is unauthorized. The podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Diana the Musical. And all names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyright of the respective trademark and copyright holders. The Unauthorized Critic Circle cannot help the listener locate or distribute the recordings discussed here.